0: Uh, Good morning and welcome to our gathering here at Hagerstown Church. Uh, My name is Chris Gomes and I serve as one of the pastors here at Hagerstown Church. And at this time, Hubtown kids, if you are in Blue Station, you are going to now be dismissed to follow Miss Micah right upstairs, ages three to five in the Blue Station. Uh, Our kids are continuing to learn that God is unchanging. God is unchanging. Life and circumstances and uh, the days and the conditions around us may change from a minute-by-minute basis, but as our children are learning, God is unchanging. God is unchanging. So we give him praise and honor for that. This morning, friends, as we turn our attention to God's word, I want to just briefly ask you a quick question. What do you want me to do for you? It's one of the most common questions that we ask of others and that others ask of us. Sometimes the question can be worded a little differently, like, uh, how can I help you or "How, how can I be of service? But the spirit of the question is still the same. What can I do for you? When asked this question, the way we answer is very telling. How we answer this question will expose our beliefs and what we believe our perceived needs to be Uh, what our desires are, what our expectations might be, expectations that uh, we have of others around us, expectations even of God himself. As we'll see in our text this morning, Jesus asks this same question to a character who has been labeled by society as insignificant and simply as an interruption. Jesus asks this man, what do you want me to do for you? Turn with me now to your, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 46 to 52. If you're new to reading the Bible, Mark is the second book in the New Testament. The larger numbers are the chapter numbers and the smaller numbers are the verse numbers. You can also follow along on the screens uh, as I read. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. And they came to Jericho. This is the Word of the Lord. This morning, as we look at this uh, brief episode of Jesus and this blind man named Bartimaeus, the main point that we're going to see from the scriptures, and the main point of my sermon this morning, is simply Jesus Christ gives spiritual sight to the blind so that by faith we may see him as the Messiah. Jesus Christ gives spiritual sight to the blind so that by faith, we may see him as the Messiah. We're going to draw two observations from this episode with Jesus and Bartimaeus. The, The first observation we'll see in verses 46 to 48, a blind beggar cries. And then in verses 49 to 52, we'll see an inquiring Savior calls. Friends, the story of this blind beggar who, ironically, sees Jesus more clearly than those with two good eyes, climaxes Mark's recording of Jesus' teaching on faith and discipleship. Chapter 10 so far has been full of references to discipleship, but none of the disciples so far have demonstrated the faith, insight, or understanding of the nature of true discipleship as this blind beggar, Bartimaeus. As we dig into the text, there's one uh, very important observation that I want to begin with, and that's simply that both Mark chapter 8 verses 22 to 26, and Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52, both of these stories enc- uh, narrate the healing of two blind men who encounter Jesus. And these two stories of blind men recovering sight, they serve as bookends surrounding the three major predictions of Jesus' death and resurrection. So, for all of you who want to better study your Bible, here's a quick Bible study tip. If you notice patterns of repetition as you're reading and studying the Bible, pay really close attention, because the author is probably trying to get your attention. Jesus, in between these two healings, predicts his death and resurrection three times. First in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Then he does it again a second time in Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 32. And then a third time in Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. From his first healing to his final healing recorded for us in Mark's gospel, Jesus teaches his disciples what the true nature of discipleship looks like. And these healings specifically serve as object lessons for that purpose. Object lessons that Jesus uses to heal their spiritual blindness as well. So our first observation that will turn our attention to a blind beggar cries in verses 46 to 48. So Mark chapter 10, verse 46, this is going to set the scene for us. Jesus and the disciples, they came to Jericho on the final leg of their journey to Jerusalem. So two cities named here, uh, but why Jerusalem? Why this journey to Jerusalem? If you remember back in Mark chapter 8, verse 33, Jesus very plainly explained to the disciples, for the third time, saying, in verse 33, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. It's a very plain explanation. No parables here. Uh, nothing poetic, It's not very difficult to decipher or to interpret. The world will be changed forever because of what will happen in Jerusalem when Jesus will be betrayed and handed over into the hands of sinful men. But the disciples still don't understand. Uh, we saw in last week's passage that what appeared to be on the minds of the, t- the disciples were power and glory, not suffering and service. But before getting to Jerusalem, they arrived in Jericho. And it's important to note, uh, just a brief tidbit here, this is not the same Old Testament Jericho that many of us might be familiar with. The Jericho we see in the Old Testament was the city, was the first city that the Israelites attacked as they were entering the Promised Land. Remember in Joshua Joshua chapter 6, After Joshua and the Israelites marched around the city of Jericho, after they gave that great shout, the massive wall defending the city fell flat. Right, That's the Jericho of the Old Testament. The Jericho that we find ourselves in this morning, this is a different Jericho. It's at about 20 miles north of Jerusalem in the desert. This is a Jericho where uh, you would find rich, large oases with massive palm trees growing in the region, providing shade in the desert, right? This Jericho was a place of refreshment for weary pilgrims who were heading north to Jerusalem for rest and refreshment. So Jerusalem is where Jesus and his disciples were headed. And while stopping in Jericho is a uh, very normal and ordinary thing to do to obtain some rest and refreshment, The reason for Jesus' journey to Jerusalem was anything but ordinary and typical. So they come to Jericho, and as they leave, Jesus is leaving Jericho with his disciples. We're told that they were not alone. A great crowd was with them. Mark's gospel records how Jesus' teaching ministry and his working of miracles led to massive crowds gathering wherever Jesus was to be found. Now notice in this encounter that apart from Jesus, the only other figure who here is named is Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, who was sitting by the roadside. So no other recipient of Jesus' healing in Mark's gospel is named except for this one man, Bartimaeus, and we might not find a very long biography recorded about him, uh, either in history or in our text this morning, but here we see some really important details, if you pay close attention. This is a man uh, whom we see crying out to Christ, and we're going to find some important details about both who he is and the situation that he is in. So first, Bartimaeus is both blind and a beggar. Second, his name literally means son of Timaeus. Bar Timaeus, son of Timaeus. You might think of when Jesus is speaking to Peter uh, where he says, uh, Simon son of Jonah, Simon bar Jonah. Simon was the son of Jonah. Bar Timaeus, son of Timaeus. Our final detail about him is he is sitting by the roadside. His blindness... It would appear made it impossible for him to be able to work and earn a living. So his station in life was to just sit by the roadside, begging and hoping that he could scrape together a few coins for his sustenance. Bartimaeus did not have access to social programs or government assistance. This is a man who was desperate and destitute, marginalized, and it would appear hopeless. What hope is there for a man like this? But by the end of the story, we will see a remarkable difference in his position. When we first see him sitting by the roadside, at the end of this encounter, spoiler alert, we will see him on the road following the Lord Jesus. Look at verses 47 and 48. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, Luke's parallel recording in Luke chapter 18, verse 36, it echoes the same thing as Mark's account. And we get just a slight nuanced detail in uh, Luke's recording where he writes, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Doesn't this encounter of desperate pleading sound familiar? Do you remember the desperate Syrophoenician woman, uh, the mother whose daughter had an unclean spirit in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30? She begged and pleaded with him to show mercy on her daughter, to cast out the unclean spirit that had plagued her. That woman, that desperate mother, demonstrated a persistent faith. And just like this unclean outsider that we saw in Mark 7, this blind beggar, Bartimaeus, he pushed past all the barriers and obstacles that were before him so that in a sense, he could see Jesus. Bartimaeus, he might have been blind, but he wasn't deaf. He heard that Jesus was the one who was passing by, not just some ordinary rabbi. Plenty of ordinary rabbis have passed by him before, but none of them were ever the son of David. None of those rabbis were ever the subjects of his desperate attention and pleading like Jesus, son of David. With details like this that Mark records, it would appear that Mark is clearly trying to help his Gentile readers, which would be all of us, to better understand that Jesus is the long-awaited for promised Messiah. He is no ordinary rabbi. So not only do we see that Jesus is the son of David, the Lord here is also referred to as Jesus of Nazareth. And he's only referred to as Jesus of Nazareth in Mark's gospel twice. And it would happen that both times involve Jesus's first miracle in chapter 1 verse 24 and his final miracle here in chapter 10 verse 47. Both of these instances in which Jesus is identified as Jesus of Nazareth, they're both involving instances of healing. So why even bother with this detail? Because when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he knew this was no ordinary rabbi from, from some insignificant little town. He has heard who Jesus is. He has heard of Jesus. He appears to have some sort of knowledge and understanding of the power that Jesus possesses. Bartimaeus seemed to understand that Jesus was not simply just another passerby. This Jesus was God's powerfully anointed one. Bartimaeus' spectacular response when he understands and hears that it is Jesus of Nazareth who is passing by, his response begs the question, who is Jesus? If you have been a Christian for any length of time, have you ever paused to consider who Jesus is? How do you answer the question that is the most important question anyone can ever possibly ask. Who is Jesus? What makes this Jewish carpenter from 2,000 years ago, even today, so inescapable? Consider reflecting on this question of who Jesus is over lunch today, maybe with your spouse or your friend. Consider also picking up Greg Gilbert's small but mighty book, simply titled, Who is Jesus? This is my only copy, so if you want to read this, I cannot give this to you, but I will gladly buy you a copy. And if, and if no one is willing to read this with you, you can come see me. I promise to read this with you to help you answer the question, Who is Jesus? How do you answer this question? Well, if you're a member of Hagerstown Church, here's our, here's how our statement of faith answers the question of who Jesus is. Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God. His incarnation as Jesus Christ, in his incarnation as Jesus Christ, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the virgin Mary. Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon himself human nature with its demands and necessities and identifying himself completely with mankind, yet without sin. He honored the divine law by his personal obedience, and in his substitutionary death on the cross, he made provision for the redemption of men from sin. He was raised from the dead with a glorified body and appeared to his disciples as the person who was with them before his crucifixion. He ascended into heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God, where he is the one mediator, fully God, fully man in whose person is effected the reconciliation between God and man. He will return in power and glory to judge the world and to consummate his redemptive mission. And he now dwells in all believers as the living and ever-present Lord. This is Jesus of Nazareth. If you're trying to find a helpful way to uh, answer this question to your friends or family members who uh, might not know who Jesus is, or maybe they claim to know who Jesus is, maybe they claim to be followers of Jesus, Maybe, maybe you can simply ask them the question, friend, who do you believe Jesus to be? And after some disciplined memorization, maybe you can memorize this brief article from our statement of faith and answer the question for them. This is Jesus of Nazareth. And when he heard that it was this Jesus of Nazareth, this is the man that is Jesus of Nazareth, this blind beggar began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But his cries were being met with rebuke. The crowd was telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Being blind Bartimaeus obviously could not see where Jesus was located in the crowd. He couldn't pinpoint him in his specific location there. He can't even see how vast this crowd is. So, how can a blind man get the attention of the only man who can save him passing by? He shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He cried out to the Lord Jesus in faith the greek verb mark uses literally means to shout it implies that it's a strong shout so most likely we can gather that this man is probably familiar with crowds if he's sitting by the roadside in jericho where pilgrims pass by these crowds would probably be filled with mothers and fathers and children the elderly even rabbis all making the pilgrimage to jerusalem through jericho But when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth passing by, he literally began to scream. He is not speaking here with a dignified voice or with the whispered hush. The same word is used in Mark chapter 5 to speak of demon-possessed, insane people. It's again used in Revelation chapter 12 to describe the birth pain and the screaming of a woman in labor. That's how strong Bartimaeus' cry is that Jesus, son of David, would have mercy on him. Bartimaeus did not have just a take it or leave it mentality, he had a I'm going to scream to get Jesus' attention. Mentality. He begins to literally scream in anguish and desperation, shouting strongly to Jesus, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. J.C. Ryle wrote in his commentary that Bartimaeus was blind in body but not in soul. The eyes of his understanding were open. He saw things that Annas and Caiaphas and hosts of letter-learned scribes and Pharisees never saw at all. He saw that Jesus of Nazareth, as our Lord was contemptuously called, Jesus who had lived for 30 years in an obscure Galilean village, this very Jesus was the son of David and the Messiah of whom prophets had prophesied long ago. Bartimaeus had witnessed none of our Lord's mighty miracles. He had not had the opportunity of beholding dead people raised with a word and lepers healed by a touch Of all these privileges, his physical blindness totally deprived him. But he had heard the report of our Lord's mighty works, and hearing had believed. He was satisfied from mere hearsay that he of whom such wonderful things were reported must be the promised Savior and must be able to heal him. And so when our Lord drew near, he cried, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. What Bartimaeus lacked in eyesight, friends, he made up for with insight. Bartimaeus demonstrated model discipleship in an even greater capacity than the disciples who had clear sight to witness Jesus' many miracles and his power. When the Lord drew near, Bartimaeus cried out for mercy. He did not cry out for power or privilege, or position. He paints, as a blind beggar, a clearer picture of what following Jesus looks like than even the disciples do at this point. He was not considered with what kind of a position he could secure for himself. Bartimaeus just wanted to draw near to the Lord and simply be heard. He didn't look to demand for what he was seeking. He simply submitted to Jesus as Lord. Bartimaeus has heard of the mighty things the Lord has done and he believes that Jesus is the messianic son of David. Uh, Bartimaeus is the kind of example that Paul uh, of what Paul says in Romans chapter 10 verse 11, for the scripture say for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. His only hope, friends, was to call out to Christ just like Paul says again in Romans chapter 10 verse 13 for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved Bartimaeus is a picture of again Romans chapter 10 verse 14 how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard Bartimaeus heard who this Jesus of Nazareth was, and he cried out in faith to Christ for mercy and deliverance. But how did the crowd respond to Bartimaeus' cry? How did the crowd respond to his uh, uncontrolled, no-holds-bar shouting? And Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. They responded to Bartimaeus by rebuking him and trying to silence him. But doesn't the crowd's response to Bartimaeus sound an awful lot like when the disciples were rebuking those who were bringing children to Jesus in chapter 10, verses 13 to 16? There we saw that the disciples viewed the children as an annoying distraction. And similarly, the crowd here considered Bartimaeus to be, who was a socially insignificant blind man, to just be an interruption. Friends, if your children are in the service and they cry, if you feel self-conscious about that, don't, because we do not view your children to be an interruption, a distraction, or a disruption. Now, the crowds attempts to silence Bartimaeus. Were they successful? Were the crowds successful in attempting to silence this man in shouting and screaming? But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Friends, the story of Bartimaeus paints a picture of prevailing prayer. It paints a picture of prevailing prayer. Bartimaeus did not give up after a quick, measly attempt to get Jesus' attention. His first attempt received no response from the Lord. He did not let the crowd keep him from crying out to Jesus, though. He persisted. Bartimaeus also did not let that pesky thought of, well, God just won't listen to me. He didn't let that pesky thought keep him from desperately crying out to God. Bartimaeus persisted. The desperate nature of Bartimaeus' situation proved he had no time for a passive fatalism. He persisted. Bartimaeus paints a picture of prevailing prayer. He understood his need and how he was completely incapable of delivering himself. He believed Jesus could deliver him. He prevailed in being heard to make his humble request known to the Lord. So friends, like Bartimaeus, how are you prevailing in prayer? How are you Prevailing in persistent, regular prayer, making your requests known to the Lord, submitting to God as Lord through prayer. Just like Bartimaeus, we as Christians, disciples of Jesus Christ, we should be marked by a humble and confident dependence on the Lord. So how do we both demonstrate our dependence and grow in our dependence on the Lord? By praying. And Bartimaeus is not the only uh, person in the uh, New Testament to be persistent in prayer. Consider uh, just these various verses here with me about how the Apostle Paul persistently prayed. Look at how Paul prayed for the church in Thessalonica. 2 Th- uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, he says, To this end we always pray for you. That our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Look at how Paul prayed for the church in uh, Colossae in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. We have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Look at how Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter one, verses 16 and 17, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. If you uh, pay close attention to the pastoral prayers before the sermon, one thing that you'll notice that we pray for are local sister churches. And uh, hopefully you'll have noticed that the pastoral prayers before we uh, preach the sermon, they are modeled by Paul's prayers for the churches. That's our hope anyway. But how is it, friends, that Paul's prayers were so rich and so deep and encompassing and and, and, and just so decadent? Right? It's because Paul's prayers for the churches were decadent deeply God-centered and God-glorifying and God-praising. Paul's prayers were humble and dependent and full of cheerful adoration of God, praising God and thanking God and making his requests known to God for the churches. You too can pray richly. And, might I add, you do not have to pray alone. Consider praying with another member. If you're married, pray with your spouse. What are some things that we as a church can be praying for? It's it's fairly easy for us to uh, turn the commands of prayer and making your uh, petitions and supplications known to the Lord. It's very easy for us to turn that to an individualistic command and, and just turn that into ourselves. But how can we be praying more fervently and more consistently for the church? One simple way, friends, is simply to be praying through your membership directory. You might not know every single member with whom you have been joined to in membership, but you can pray for them. You can pray that the Lord would bless them with wisdom and grace, to give them wisdom to navigate the challenges and the temptations that they will face in their various spheres and walks of life. You can pray that God would give them a greater hunger for the word. You can pray that this member whom you don't know uh, would be encouraged uh, through the reading of the scripture and the preaching of the word. And over time, you might even have the courage to reach out to that very member that you've been praying for for a couple of days or a couple of weeks or even a couple of months and say, Hi, my name is fill in the blank. Pray for the church. Pray for the members of the church whom you have been joined to. If you want a couple of ideas of how you should be praying or how you could delight in God in praying, friends, pray that as a church that we would have unity amid diversity. That we would be a people who love those with whom we have nothing or very little in common but the gospel. You can pray that as a church, we would be fostering a culture of discipleship, a culture in which making disciples is viewed as an ordinary part of the Christian life, as ordinary as eating and breathing. Pray that as a church, that there would be a hunger for studying the gospel forming among members so that members can guide and guard one another in it. Pray that transparent and meaningful relationships would become normal and remaining anonymous strange. Pray for the preaching of God's word, that it would be biblically careful and Holy Spirit imbued. Friends, if I might ask personally, pray that the elders would remain above reproach, that we would be kept from temptation and complacency, idols and worldliness. Pray that as a church, we would grow in being distinct from the world in love and holiness, even as we engage with outsiders. Friends, pray for more conversions. Pray that people would hear the gospel, would be convicted of their sin, would see the supremacy of Christ, and would submit to him as Lord. Pray for more conversions. If you are afraid to share the gospel... I sympathize with you. We understand. Friends, pray that God would give you both a Holy Spirit-empowered courage and boldness and bravery, and pray for the end result. Even if you don't have the courage right now at this moment, pray for the end result. Pray for more conversions. Friends, big picture, pray that God would use our church to build biblically healthy churches. Pray that our church would serve other churches that are experiencing decline or spiritual unhealth. And pray that we as a church would plant more churches. If you struggle to consistently pray, let Bartimaeus and Paul's examples of humble dependence encourage and strengthen you. Your prayers don't need to be super complex. They don't even need to be filled with really heavy jargon. Your prayers don't even have to sound like your favorite podcast preacher or your favorite Puritan. Rather, pray in a spirit of humble dependence. And there's probably a variety of different tools and prayer acronyms that you can use, uh, different apps on your phone or whatever else. But friends, however you're praying, pray to the Lord of the Scriptures in humble dependence. Like Bartimaeus, cry out to the Lord in a desperate humble and dependent faith in him. He has proven himself time and time again to be dependable and one who keeps his promise. And if you want to better find out how God has kept his promises in both the Old Testament and how he demonstrates his promise keeping in the New Testament, then come here at 9.15 during our equipping hour. Shameless plug for our biblical theology class. Now, Pray to the Lord in desperate, humble, and dependent faith. This is what Bartimaeus shows us. Let's look at our second observation now in verses 49 to 52. Notice Jesus in verses 49 to 52. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Notice that suddenly, it's the crowd that's silenced. The crowd is silenced. The rebukes have ended. Jesus has stopped and said, call him. Notice the weight of Jesus' voice. Jesus can silence an entire crowd just by the person that he is with two simple words. He stops and says, call him. In the Greek, the Greek text literally reads as and Jesus stood still. How remarkable is it that Jesus, the son of David, God's powerfully anointed one, who had his face set to Jerusalem to be betrayed, handed over, mocked, beaten, and crucified, allowed the cries of this poor and powerless man on the side of a road to literally stop him. Jesus stood still and cried for Bartimaeus. The Greek paints a clearer picture of the tension in this moment. What will Jesus do when he stops? Will he look at the man and continue walking? Will Jesus stop, tighten his sandal, get something to eat and walk away? Jesus stood still. Bartimaeus's fate hangs in the balance of what Jesus will do next when he has stopped. He calls him. Jesus stood still and called for Bartimaeus. Friends, Bartimaeus has not earned a hearing with the Lord by his own merits, by the quality of his voice, the tone of his prayer, the, the, the biblically saturatedness of his crying out to the Lord. He has not earned a A hearing with the Lord by his own strength and his own merits. Jesus in his mercy stopped and called him. Where else do we see this similar echo of the richness of God's mercy? Highlight Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. Consider reflecting on this verse and memorizing it and thinking about it day after day this week. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. See the richness of Jesus' mercy, the decadence of the love that he shows when he demonstrates the richness of his mercy. Bartimaeus can cry out to Jesus to have mercy on him because Jesus is rich in mercy. Jesus is rich in mercy. In your minds, honestly, transparently, you don't have to say this out loud, but do you in your minds see Jesus as being rich in mercy? Good. In verse 49, the crowd's rebukes, which quickly turned to silence, then quickly turned into words of comfort, and they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. Now, notice, where does Bartimaeus' comfort come from? Is it coming from the crowds, saying some kind words to him finally? The clear answer is no, his, his comfort does not come from the crowd. Bartimaeus' comfort comes from the Lord, who being rich in mercy stopped and said, call him bring him to me i desire for bartimaeus to come before my presence and when bartimaeus heard that jesus was calling him he didn't even delay for a second he sprang up and came to jesus the picture in my mind when i think about this is in high school i was notoriously uh, late to get to the bus stop the i would sleep through my alarm It would be uh, uncomfortably bright outside. And you know when you're late for a meeting, when it should be dark when you wake up and it's actually really bright and sunny out, that you're in trouble. You spring out of bed and you throw the blanket off and you're you're not getting dressed slowly. You're getting dressed very quickly to get to where you need to go. Friends, Bartimaeus did not waste a second. He is not missing the bus. Bartimaeus sprang up and came to Jesus and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. What do you want me to do for you? Where have we heard this question before? Remember last week in uh, verses 35 to 45? And James and John rather brazenly demand of the Lord, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. This is an extraordinary request they make. Right? But they, they soften it by saying, But in your glory. Right? Jesus, we demand positions of power and glory in the kingdom that you are about to inaugurate when we arrive in Jerusalem. And if you look at Jesus' response, which was even more incredible than their, their request, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking for. In contrast to James and John, Bartimaeus had no extraordinary request. He just simply said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. What I should have, will you please just let me have it? His request was simple and humble. And sure, requesting a miraculous healing to restore sight to a blind man is by definition an extraordinary request. But whereas James and John requested extraordinary glory, Bartimaeus requested for just ordinary health. James and John wanted to see glory. Bartimaeus just wanted to see In the Greek text, Bartimaeus doesn't say rabbi as in just teacher because we already know Jesus is no ordinary teacher. The Greek text shows a much more reverent term used to address Jesus. He says rabboni. In Jewish literature, this is not a term that would be used to respectfully address ordinary people. Rabboni is a term that would be used to address God alone in prayer. The way Bartimaeus addressed Jesus, the son of David, it demonstrates his estimation of who he saw Jesus to be. This Rabboni is the Lord. And he just simply says, Master, I would just like to have my sight recovered. His humble request was recognized by Jesus as an affirmation of confident trust in the mercy of God and in his power. To heal. Uh, so what does model discipleship look like? It looks like confident trust in the gracious mercy of God. Model discipleship can look like a lot of things, but at its heart, co- model discipleship looks like confident trust in the mercy, in the gracious mercy of God. By asking him What do you want me to do for you? Jesus gave Bartimaeus an opportunity to express his faith, to publicly express his confident trust in the Lord. Jesus' question was designed, see the kindness and the mercy of our God here, his question itself was designed to strengthen Bartimaeus' faith by encouraging him to publicly express his faith in Christ. So Bartimaeus expressing his faith, should lead us to ask the question, how do we as Christians publicly profess our faith? So there's lots of different ways to do this, right? You might think of prayer, discipleship, Bible studies, evangelism, doing the various one another commands. Uh, You might think, uh, well, loving your neighbor, serving, regularly assembling ourselves together to worship with the members of the local church. Right? We are corporately saying Jesus is Lord in the corporate service. But friends, at the most fundamental level, while all of those things and more are ways in which we publicly profess our faith in Christ, at the most fundamental level, Christians publicly profess our faith in Christ by identifying with Christ. So how do we publicly identify with Christ? Fundamentally, We publicly identify with the Lord Jesus Christ by observing the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. This text is not a go-to text for the observe, uh, observing the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. I get that, but the point is we publicly identify with Christ through baptism, which I, which symbolizes the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior, the believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. And by participating in the Lord's Supper, as we will together as a church this morning, we do so in remembrance of Christ. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is public identification with Jesus. So how do we publicly express our faith as Christians? Well, we submit to Christ's rule through baptism. We join the local church and together with the church, we follow Jesus on the road, and we remember his sacrifice for us in the supper. Just like Bartimaeus' public profession and request of the Lord strengthened his faith by observing the ordinances as members of a local church, we both publicly identify with Christ as our Lord, and friends, we strengthen our faith together. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight, and followed him on the way. This seems like a very quick turn of events here. He makes his request and Jesus says, go your way, your faith has made you well. Bartimaeus lacked eyesight, we understand. But what he possessed was faith. Faith in Jesus Christ is saving grace. Faith in Jesus Christ is what enables us to truly see, to truly see ourselves for who we are, broken image bearers of a holy and just God, and to truly see God, a holy and just God who is rich in mercy. To have faith in Jesus means we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation. We trust Him to forgive our sins. We trust Jesus to guide us to eternal joy on the basis of his divine power and atoning death alone. Jesus in his mercy and grace granted Bartimaeus his request and restored his sight. And look at how Bartimaeus responds. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. There is no wasting time. He is not going to sit there and gather his belongings. He is not going to say goodbye to all of the familiar faces that he uh, uh, has heard from and has spoken with uh, along his, uh, during his time along the, the side of the road. He recovered his sight and he follows Jesus on the way. For so long, his way was just to sit by the roadside. Now that he has seen Jesus, now that he has seen the Lord, his way is to follow Jesus along the road. He no longer goes back to where he was sitting. He follows Jesus. There's no going back for Bartimaeus. His way was with Jesus. Jesus asked Bartimaeus just a simple question. What do you want me to do for you? And he received so much more than just eyesight. Just like Bartimaeus, this blind beggar who recovers his sight miraculously and follows Jesus just like him, we who have received spiritual sight by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, our only way now is to gratefully follow Jesus, confidently trusting in the gracious mercy of our God. That is our way Our way now is to gratefully follow Jesus, confidently trusting in the gracious mercy of our God. Let's pray. Lord, you are the God of all grace. And by grace, Lord, you have given to us a faith to live by Christ and to make him all our desire, hope, and glory. Lord, we ask that you would help us, that we would look to Jesus as our refuge and build on him as our foundation. Father, that you would give us the grace to follow Jesus as our guide and conform to him as our example. Lord, that by your spirit we would receive Jesus' instructions to us as our prophet and that we would rely on his intercession on our behalf as our high priest. And Father, that we would obey Jesus as our king. We pray all this now in Jesus' name, amen.